American Shoreline podcast listeners. Today we're doing another mashup episode of Shaped by the Sea and Big Tourism with your host, Brian Yersitz and Erica Sears. So Brian, a couple of months ago, you and I were chatting on the phone and we kind of bonded over a really unique occurrence that happens on both of our coasts and affects both of our jobs. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, I definitely do. I was very excited to bring this up and do a whole episode on this. Um, so, I, yeah. Yeah, so was I. There's not a lot of people I can bond with over this. So um, it was a great conversation. And that's why we're going to dive deeper today and do an entire episode about this kind of crazy phenomenon that happens all around the American shoreline. So to give you all a hint, it generally happens during the spring and sometimes involves a kidnapping. I wonder if any of our <laughs> listeners <laughs> can guess sounds, where we're going with this. <laughs> sounds pretty wild, honestly. Um, it, it, it's it's fairly, fairly vague, but um, I don't know, Erica, if you want to break the bubble, let them know what it is. Yeah, um, it does sound wild. I think they're going to guess it, but instead of just giving it away, we're going to introduce this in a more creative way. Um, So as many of you, I'm sure, know, there are these things called Choose Your Own Adventure books. And actually now they are, you can do it on a Netflix movie. And it's the idea that as you're reading along or watching a film, you can choose what the character does next. And so then you would flip to your option later on in the book or you you would click the next scene on your screen. It's called Choose Your Own Adventure. So today I thought we would choose an adventure for Brian. Are you up for this? I am definitely up for the challenge. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if I come out of this adventure alive. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so I'm gonna read like a brief intro, and then I will offer you up the different um, adventures. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Okay. It's a risk. <laughs> I know. I'm nervous. <laughs> I, I'm hoping I could do this without laughing. Okay, here we go. It's a brisk early morning, and Brian walks along a stretch of beach, looking out at the ocean. He zips his jacket up a bit tighter as the wind picks up. He loves the feeling of spring and the mixed promise of sun and the faint reminder of winter, when suddenly he sees before him a small, plump seal pup. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. Um, Does that sound like a normal occurrence for you? Yeah, that's about right. That's about right up here. Okay, good. So here are your three options. I will read all three, and then you can choose what Brian does after he has seen the small plump seal pup. Option one, Hungry Eyes by Eric Carmen, as featured in the hit film Dirty Dancing. <laughs> option two, not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. Or option three, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. So I so I'm gonna pick right now which of these these three yes. options, correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. So well I'm gonna I will say I've never seen the movie Dirty Dirty Dancing. I've only seen the ending where he, you know, he lifts her up um, while they're while they're dancing uh, at the end. And so I, I I will say I'm not as familiar with that one. So I think I'm going to go with the hero we deserved, not the hero we deserved, but the hero we needed. Okay, option two. So picking up where we left off, when suddenly he sees before him a small plump seal pup. This isn't Brian's first rodeo. He often sees seal pups in this area during spring as they wait for their moms to hunt. He's no expert, but its lack of movement and strange position has him questioning whether this is an everyday occurrence. Perhaps it's sick. 
He calls a stranded marine mammal network and waits 100 yards away, chest puffed out and a sense of duty on his mind. Occasionally, he intercepts dogs off leashes and excited children charging towards the pup. Soon, a representative shows up and relieves him of his post. As Brian walks away, a quote comes to mind with a slight modification. Because he's the hero wildlife deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector, a dark knight. He's Brian. <laughs> I, think I, I think I picked the best one. Um, yeah, so that was option two. Um We'll dive into that, but let's choose another option. Let's I, let's choose I, option. What do you think? I, I like that. The silent hero. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're gonna like add that to your LinkedIn now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm I very well very well might. <laughs> um cool. Well let's do the thing that people do when they choose an option and they're like, Oh, but I kinda wanna see what the other option was. Yeah, so. I wish I wish I checked out what a um I, I wanna know what the hungry eyes by Eric Carmen was. Okay, let's dive into that one um, because that's my favorite one. <laughs> and it's going to release I, I thought so. I thought that one would be your favorite. <laughs> okay, so picking up where we left off. When suddenly he sees before him a small, plump seal pup. Something shifts within Brian's heart as he looks into the almond-shaped eyes of the seal pup. He has never had an experience like this, and he can hardly believe it. As he registers what's happening, he's not sure what question is burning hotter within his soul. How could a mother ever abandon an adorable little baby like this? Or has the universe finally given him an opportunity to be the hero, nay, the parent he knows he could be? <laughs> With the window cracked open, Brian looks in the rearview mirror to see his new rescue in the back seat. They make eye contact again, and Brian... Feels the magic between him and the pup. <laughs> the open ocean behind and the open road ahead. Brian has a sense of purpose he hasn't had in years. <laughs> um, so those are the two options. The third one, really briefly, is you see the seal pup. You know that that's part of wildlife. You give it a wide berth and go about your day. Um, so for Erica, our listeners... How long did it take? How long did it take you to come up with that that adventure number one? <laughs> <laughs> was I listening to the soundtrack of Dirty Dancing when I wrote it? Yes. Yes. Did it take okay. me a long time? <laughs> Surprisingly, not really. <laughs> that um, one just came to your soul, didn't it? It did. And I promise, it's not a personal experience that I've had or something that I've done. It just it makes sense, and and that's what we're here to talk about today seal pups and pupping season and the way that people interact, you know, appropriately and inappropriate, inappropriately with seal pups. So those three scenarios, Brian, do those sound familiar to you? One, calling a marine mammal stranded network or some kind of hotline to um, a visitor feeling like they need to rescue a, a seal pup and putting it in their car. And then three, you know, just recognizing that this is wildlife and giving it wide birth like do those sound like three common scenarios during seal pupping season oh yeah those are those are all too real um especially especially here in the northeast uh for our listeners who haven't heard what i do for a living right now i work for the seacoast science center uh their marine mammal rescue team and we we are the ones who 
run a 24-hour hotline uh, and we get calls from beachgoers all year. So we have two two major pupping seasons that happen here. Uh, one in the winter, which is coming up right now for gray seals, and the other is uh, in the spring, su- spring, early summer months for harbor seals around here. And yeah, these are all scenarios that are that absolutely are inspired by real, you know, real things that we encounter um, on our hotline during our rescues and responses. And it, it's not just an occurrence here in the Northeast, uh, as you can attest for, Erica, is that this happens all, all along the United States coastline and I'm sure elsewhere in the world. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so these are three scenarios. Um, you know, scenario one is, um, oh my gosh, now I'm like totally out of it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Where, where do we end off? We, we ended off with, uh, with, with you talking about all of these three being real scenarios that we encounter, um, mm-hmm. right. in in our everyday, uh, experiences with what we do. Right. Yes. Yes. So let's, um, jump into what you do, Brian, and why these three scenarios are, why you're so familiar with these three scenarios. Yeah. So each, each one of these, um, as, as amazingly as you put them, Erica, they, they are, uh, they are very real life scenarios that happen in the field of marine mammal rescue. Uh, and, and for our listeners who don't know, uh, that is what I do full time right now in the Northeast US. I work for the Seacoast Science Center's marine mammal rescue team. So we are, we're the ones who run a 24 hour hotline for any beachgoer who sees a stranded marine mammal. They call us and we go out and respond. And you'd be amazed, and we're going to talk about these some more, but the scenarios that we find ourselves in um, where people run into a, a, a seal pup, you know, freshly either, you know, just born or like a weanling seal that's kind of just freshly separated from its mother. And when people see these animals, they they instinctively, they're like, oh my God, I want to help them. But they don't know that what what they think is helping could be you know, irreversibly harming these animals. Yeah. And it's so, um, this is interesting. And this is where our phone call is interesting because so Brian and I are both working on this, this issue of people, a lot of times visitors interacting with these seal pups. Cause it's the first time like Brian was mentioning. Um, however, Brian, you're really on the front lines. Like you're receiving the calls, you're going out there, and I'm really the opposite. Um, I work for the Oregon Coast Visitors Association. We're the regional, you know, DMO, the organization that manages and markets tourism for the entire Oregon coastline, 363 miles. So I work on the communication side and I work with our partners like um, the Department of Forest of Fish and Wildlife, Forest Service, State Parks, BLM, all those agencies, I work with them. And one of the impacts that comes up a lot is visitors interacting with seals. So although I'm not the one answering the call, I am the one looking at our social media channels and saying like, ooh, we need to change the wording on this. Hey, let's communicate about this impact and why it's important. Um, So we're kind of two sides of the same coin, (laughs) I guess it is. Um, And I'm looking forward to seeing how, you know, our experiences on both ends are really related and on opposite coastlines of the United States. So hopefully today, the outcome of this episode is for our listeners to understand how organizations and agencies can use stewardship messaging, viewing guidelines and laws to modify and even change visitor behavior towards wildlife. Um, 
So let's give some backgrounds, Brian, and can you talk a little bit about wildlife viewing guidelines? Um, you know, what they are, why do we have them? I think you're going to be more of an expert in this than I am. Yeah, definitely. And, and so this really comes down to, uh, especially when we're talking about marine mammals, we're talking about the Marine Mammal Protection Act. So this is a federal law that states that it is illegal to approach any seal, sea lion, dolphin, or porpoise within 50 yards, or that would be 150 feet for those of us who don't really know the metric system that well. And <laughs> I, w- I, I would compare that to about the length of three school buses, you know, your, your big yellow school bus. So three of those away from any seal, seal sea lion, dolphin, or porpoise. And when it comes to whales, uh, the regulation is that you need to be 100 yards away. So that's 300 feet. So that I, I think personally of the size of a fo- uh, an entire football field, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's how far, if you're boating, that you'd want to be away from any any whale. Um, and that and that Marine Mammal Protection Act, it's really in place to protect all of these different species that were once, you know, uh, either overhunted. Uh, so you think commercial whaling back in the day, and they really haven't recovered since then. Um, or, you know, with, when it comes to seals, I know here in the, in the Northeast, uh, back before these protections were in place, there was actually a, um, the, the local governments here would actually pay people to hunt seals and bring in, uh, I think it was, they would get an X amount of money for every like seal nose that they brought in. Um, so these animals were actively extirpated back in the day and the Marine Mammal Protection Act was put in place to protect them. And we're seeing these numbers come back, uh, especially when it comes to like humpback whales, you think seals in the Northeast, um, it has been effective. And so when we talk about wildlife viewing guidelines, this is the federal law that is out there that created these guidelines and that uh, enforces them, essentially. And I'm curious, what, what are the ways that people experience these guidelines? Where do people see these guidelines? So that, that's a really good question. Um, and that's something that I, I believe we need to do a better job at is, is educating people about these wildlife viewing guidelines. So usually uh, if, you, if you go to a beach, there'll be some kind of signage up. That's, that's a big part of my job right now is, is working with municipalities, states, uh, local governments to put up signage at beach entrances, right? To, to educate folks um, that if they, if they've, come if they come across a seal on the beach just keep their space 150 feet back and call their local um marine mammal rescue uh organization right and for, mm-hmm. and for us that we we are that organization in new hampshire and northern massachusetts but there is an organization that fulfills that role it, wherever the, wherever you go in the united states and those signs would you describe them as being sort of official government signs or creative eye-catching signs Honestly, they're a bit of both. Um, okay. I know that Noah. Uh, we have worked with Noah to on on sp- some specific messaging that goes on these signs, but um, for the most part, it's it's up to each organization to design their own uh, with what they think is going to work best and reach reach that local you know audience of beachgoers most effectively. So yeah. it, it it definitely varies, but all of them have the same central messaging that. You need to keep 150 feet away from these animals. Keep your dog dogs on leashes if you're around these animals. 
um, and call your local wildlife rescuers because they are the experts and they're the ones that you, you, you should never take, take, um, the, you know, responsibility into your own hands. You should always call the experts because they know what's right. Right. Yeah. I think you could probably hear the, the destination manager and me, you know, asking those questions about how we're communicating and which ways we're communicating. And, you know, from our perspective, we, you know, just like you're saying, those signs are, are on the Oregon coast as well. They instruct people what to do, what not to do, who to call. Um, but my organization doesn't place those signs. We're not a government organization. That's not really our, our role. However, we have a huge audience um, in, in social media that look at our newsletter, that look at our website. And the people that look at our, our channels like that are visitors or potential visitors, returning visitors. And so we have a unique opportunity to kind of insert this messaging earlier in the visitor life cycle. And people that listen to my show, I'm, I feel like I bring up the visitor life cycle a lot. Um, this is something that Travel Oregon, so the state's tourism organization for Oregon, uses to describe the different stages that we can engage with visitors. And so the pre-trip planning stage of this cycle is kind of where we can get in. So people are looking for inspiration. They're like, ooh, maybe I should go to the Oregon coast. So there's ways that as they're looking up hotels or they're looking up different spots, we can say, hey, yeah, if you come during spring, most likely you'll see a seal pup. You'll see this mysterious little creature on the beach. Just so you know, like this is how we interact with them while you're here. Then when somebody, you know, books their stay, like the hotel confirmation email can say, you know, you're checking in this day, you're checking out this day. Hey, heads up, you're coming here during spring. So it's most likely, you know, that you will see a seal pup on the beach. Don't be alarmed. This is how you interact with it. And then you're actually on the beach and you see the sign and you're like, oh, there's that sign again. I guess I better leave the seal pup alone. And then hopefully that person can post something positive in their review on their own social post to keep spreading the message. So. There are so many different ways that we can engage with a potential visitor before they even get here. And I think we're seeing with COVID um, that that pre-trip messaging part has become more difficult because people aren't tr- aren't planning their trips like three months ahead or two months ahead. Sometimes they're planning it the yeah. day of, you know, because people aren't traveling out of state. Like, I mean, they are, but, um, you know, most people are like, okay, I'm going to go to the coast for the day. Um, so that is where it's really important to, to really put a lot of focus on the work that you're doing, Brian, like actually being there, you know, having interpreters on the ground and, and response. So. Exactly. It's, it, we're hitting them from both angles and it, it's, you're, you're, you're getting those people online, the people who are, you know, you're making this a searchable topic. Um, and reach and reaching people where they're at, right in their planning stages. Whereas what, what I'm trying to do is educate folks when they're physically at the beach, when they're walking from their car to, you know, through the dunes, that's where I want to, I want to hit them with, uh, our signage and our information just because, uh, there's, there's so many stories, um, that we have honestly from our rescue work and from our hotline that are really, they're, they're learning examples. And I know, uh, we're planning to go through a, a few of them because both you and I have some pretty interesting stories from the field, um, from from what we've chatted about in the past. Yeah, definitely. And I think just to sort of wrap up this ability to really hit the message over and over, 
if Brian and I threw a dinner party together, which would be interesting because I'm in Oregon and he's in Maine, <laughs> but say we threw a dinner party together, <laughs> it would be as if I waited at the door for guests and I was like, hey, how's it going? Welcome in. Hey, have you guys heard about seals? They're super cool. It'd be like me giving all the messaging, right? And people are like, wow, Erica's really into seals. Okay. And they sit down and then during dinner, Brian, you're like, hey, so it's seal season. Um, you know, this is what you can expect. Da, 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 da. And yep. then as people are leaving, we're like, hey, it was so great talking to you about seals. So the point where people are just like, you're constantly hitting them with messages, but at different stages during the night, like different stages during the experience, I think is a yep. good way to think of the different, the amount of times that you can really hit somebody with messaging. Yeah, um, there's, there's no excuse for not knowing those rules then, right? There's There's no excuse if you're hit with it, this information at every step that you take in the process, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting too. Um, we talked about this, like also understanding the audience and understanding that everybody has a different sort of knowledge base. So even saying a um, hundred yards, maybe a lot of people, a lot of kids don't know what a hundred yards look like, but the kids would know what three buses look like, or yeah. maybe somebody from a different country or different backgrounds maybe they don't know what a school bus looks like but they know what a city block looks like that that's pretty universal for even different countries so it's interesting too when you're giving people measurements that we're not thinking okay i'm really into football so i know everybody is like me and likes football like i'll use that measurement it's interesting how you can use different units to really connect with different types of people and i think that's really good in the kind of the equity space of what we're doing Oh, yeah. And I actually, I have a trick. I don't know if you've ever heard of this trick when it comes to any type of wildlife. Um, It's called like the thumb trick. So if you if you stick your thumb out in front of your, you know, your eyes, if you can cover the animal with your thumb, then you're a safe distance away from it. But if if your thumb does not cover the entire size of that animal, then you need to back up even further. That's like a general rule for wildlife viewing that you know, it, it's not going to be exact, but it's, it, it definitely helps you get that, judge that spacing. Um, so I have totally heard that before because this is so funny. This comes up in every episode. I am obsessed with LinkedIn and I saw you in a video giving that tip. And I saw that video before you and I had that conversation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that is an excellent reminder. And I think that that is such a good reminder. Thank you for bringing that up because I feel like that's something we can use in our channels on the Oregon coast. And it's also like an, like an action. Like I can totally see kids doing that or like a really excited dad or something like, Oh, let's do the thumb trick and see if we're too close, you know? So, yeah. um, and it for applies for that. anything. It's, it's not just for marine mammals. This applies if you go to Yellowstone and you're viewing the bison, right? Like, um, th- those larger animals, especially on land, you'd want to be even further away just for your own safety. Um, and, and I think it's also worth noting that, you know, we, we say these, these guidelines exist not only for the safety of these, of seals and these, these wild animals, but it's also for yourself, right. And your kids and your, your dogs and your pets. Um, these are wild animals, right. You, they, they can definitely bite. They're aggressive at certain times of the year, especially if you think of, you know, a male elephant seal on the on the West Coast or a male gray seal on the East Coast. These things are huge. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to mess with one of them. And, you know, it's it's for your own safety, too, essentially. Yeah. So let's let's start swapping some stories. Um, <laughs> how about we will swap one story for one story? I think you have a few more than I do. Um, so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? 
Um, I'll, I'll jump in. I got, I got a good one. So, okay. yeah, so fair, we, we get, we receive calls on our hotline all the time. Right. Um, and, and you know, every now and then we'll also check on Facebook, uh, to see if there's been any postings of like videos, videos of seals, videos of interactions with seals. And this was earlier on when I first started this job. Um, it was in the winter. And in the winter, we have these seals called harp seals that come down from the Arctic every year. And one thing about harp seals is that when they get stressed out, um, they have a behavior where they eat. Ro- they actually eat rocks um, that are on the, the beaches here in New England. New England beaches are very rocky. Obviously, eating rocks, not good for your stomach, right? Um, <laughs> and so with that context, we, we were on Facebook and we came across this video of this, you know, this woman with a very thick Boston accent, you know, North shore Boston. Um, and it, she's sitting there with her dog doing a Facebook live right next to this harp, this, uh, this harp seal that's on the beach. She's, and she's, she's yelling cause she thinks the, you know, the animal's sick. Um, she's yelling for, anyone around her to come and bring buckets of water down so she can toss them on the animal because she thinks it needs to be in the water. Um, and, and while she's video, so she's videotaping this like in selfie mode right next to the animal. And she has her small dog barking just right next to her too. And obviously this was all stressing this harp seal out because it was just eating rocks on camera. And every time it ate a rock, she, she was like, Oh no, no, you poor thing. Don't eat the rocks. Don't eat the rocks. And you know, while she's yelling, you know, for people to get, get water, someone bring some water. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I have a long Island accent. And so it's difficult for me to impersonate Boston accents, Boston. Yeah. So, so yeah, she's, she's yelling for water. And this, it was wild because this guy actually, this passerby, um, he walks by and you see him on camera telling her like, you need, no, like the animal doesn't need any buckets of water. Like you need to step back further away from the animal. You're stressing it out. And he, he, so this guy actually came through and, and educated her about, you know, what she, what she was doing wrong and what she should be doing. And it was all on camera. And you see her eventually like walk back away from the animal a bit. Um, and they have a conversation, but you know, that was all caught on Facebook live and that's how we found it. Right. This, <laughs> this hard, yeah, it was, it was wild, that, but that is wild. He's not the hero we needed, but the hero we deserved. Exactly. <laughs> <first> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what he was. And, and the point, one of the big points I like to make with this story too, is just that like, she meant well. This, this woman really meant well. She was, she was trying to get water because she thought the animal was sick and eating rocks because it was sick, right? Um, and she thought that seals need to be in water, which is a huge misconception. Seals can spend a, a decent amount of time out of water, especially if they're resting. Um, you know, they're just, they're bre- if they're breeding on land, um, they don't need to be in water 24-7. Um, and she she thought that they did and so she thought that she was doing something right and and she thought that she was being the hero that the animal needed um, right when it was really that passerby that right that knew it and was able to educate her so that's that's one of my stories what about now it's your turn <laughs> okay let's see so um just to get some background info 
a lot of times in my job, what I do is I'll present at different meetings and workshops, and I talk about the importance of the tone that we use when we're trying to give instructional messaging instead of inspirational messaging. And so I always use the baby seal as an example because it's like a megafauna and people are always really interested in this example. So I'll always say something like, you know, what we want to change is the way that that visitors are behaving with baby seals. And so we've done posts where we say, don't touch baby seals, leave them alone. And that kind of post does not perform well, um, has less engagement. It has really negative comments. We had to shut down a post one time because people said that they wanted to club the seal. And then other people said they wanted to kill the people that wanted to kill the seals. Like it was out of control, right? So there's ways that the the tone we use when we tell people don't do this, don't do that. It does not go well. And then you compare that to some more like interesting kind of unique messaging. Um, And then it responds a little bit better. And so generally, you know, we tell people, um, we say, instead of telling Oregon Coast visitors what they can and can't do at the coast, let's use a welcoming and warm tone while sharing thought-provoking information. This will shed light on the coast's natural treasures, encourage respectful behavior from visitors and locals alike by bringing them into the fold. And so I use these two examples, you know, the no language versus like this interesting language language. And I always tell people like the fact of the matter is is, like the mom is out hunting. The baby's just, is just doing its thing. It's just relaxing. Okay. So I've given that presentation what feels like a million times. And of course, you know, you always have colleagues that are like in similar meetings with you. So they hear, they hear you give that presentation a lot to the point where you're like, sorry guys, you got to hear this one from me again. So I'm at a conference. (laughs) I give my spiel. Um, and then that night I'm in the hotel room and one of my colleagues, um, who I love. He's so great. He sends a text, a group text. And he's like, I'm on the beach. There's a seal. What do I do? And I'm like, are you being funny? And I actually looked at this text <laughs> last night. This is like from oh, like, like two years ago. And I just yeah. wrote back, ha ha, are you being funny? And he wrote, no, I'm serious. Okay. So he ends up calling like the, the contact number at the aquarium. And the next day I see him and I'm like, Hey, are you serious? Have you not been listening to my presentations? Like you're supposed to leave the seal alone. What were you doing out there with that seal? And he kept, he kept saying like, it just, it looks so sad and lonely. It's eyes were looking into me (laughs) and it was so sad and so lonely. I felt like it needed help. And I, I'm like, well, did you want to put it in a pair of pajamas? Like it's just trying to live its life. And so I guess two things from that story I think are common threads. One, this person was trying to do the right thing. They were sincerely concerned about this animal. Um, They did do the right thing. You know, they contacted the right number. And then secondly, this person is also from Oregon. And I think it's important when we think of visitors that we're not thinking of visitors from just out of state or from a different country, but you know, the definition of a visitor is someone that's coming from 50 miles or more away. Um, so even people within your own state that don't live that far away from your coastline, maybe an hour, two hours, can still not know what's in their backyard. Um, so that was that story. Yeah, big time. <laughs> was, was that the inspiration for uh, option one on my Choose Your Own Adventure? <laughs> it might have inspired it a little bit. Just like the fact that he was like, it's eyes. Like I was looking into its eyes, um, hungry eyes. <laughs> Yes, it's, but it's it's so it's so true though. Like these these animals, like you said, they're charismatic megafauna. Like 
baby seals, people, you know, people make stuffed animals of baby seals because they're cute and they're, they're, you know, they look like little dogs and people want to squeeze their cheeks, right? Like that mm-hmm. it, it, people just have this inclination to think that they are like sea dogs and that, you know, it's, that we can help them and that they're in you know, they're these damsels in distress if they're on the beach. Right. And, um, I I don't know. It it's, it's understanding, but that, that is exactly one of the things that we need to do a better job at educating people about. Right. And that's where we can, we can really get them before they even get to the beach, I think. And like, for, for example, I teach, I teach a lot of educational programs and, you know, with our local schools and, almost all of the the little kids, you know, the, the, especially the young ones, one of the questions that they, they have for me is like, how, how can I like pet a seal or how can I, what do I need to do? Like if I'm, you know, do I have to be a Marine, a Marine biologist to be able to work with seals and pet them? Right. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, even you know, from a young age, it's like, it's something that um, if we can teach, teach kids the the right thing to do, and teach teach folks like and at any point that we can reach them, um, it'll make a big difference down the road. Like the we'll turn these people from being, um, you know, folks who who have really good intentions, um, but harm these animals into the hero that we uh, that we <laughs> need and and deserve. Right, like mm-hmm. that that they'll make that transformation. And so yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's really hard. I think sometimes I think of there used to maybe a year or so ago, there was a meme going around and it was like, um, it kills me every time I see a a seeing eye dog because I want to pet it so bad, but I know it has a job to do. Right. Like this idea that like, well, these dogs have a job to do. So like, I'm going to refrain because even though it's adorable and I love dogs and I want to hold it, squeeze it and pet it, like it has a job to do. And so I think that even though that was kind of a joke, like it is a good way to think of it. Like, no, like, even though I have the selfish desire to interact with the dog, like it has its own thing to do. And so thinking about that with seals is like, even though I'm it's so cute. It has like kind of the face of a cat, but it also looks like a dog. It looks like a puppy. Like this has its life to live. And like by interacting with it, I'm going to mess that up. Um, I think that's yeah. like another way to think about it. Yeah. And honestly, like, so I, I want to dive into more of the social media stuff that you, that you work on. Cause I find it so interesting. I, I really think that's a huge way to reach people. But um, wh- one thing I wanted to mention is that when, even when I, when we, arrive on the scene as marine mammal rescuers right i almost compare it to like i i used to lifeguard i lifeguarded when i was in like high school and college for like 10 years and it was something what they taught us in lifeguarding actually applies to any time that you see a a wild animal so like the first thing you do is you survey the scene right like (laughs) you're so yeah like like in your in your opening scenario um, I, I stumble upon the beach. It's a fall, you know, a, a spring day. It's brisk, and I see this little animal. Right, um, first thing I do, I should survey the scene. Like, is the what does the animal look like? Is it in trouble? Um, and then the second, immediately, are, are there other people around? Right, um, and then second, immediately, I would start the chain of events. Uh, call the hotline. Get the experts down there. Right. So you mm-hmm. want to? That's the first thing you'd want to do because. It, it might take you know thirty minutes for your local marine mammal rescuers to to get together, get their get all their equipment and get down to the scene. Um, so you want to start that chain as quickly as you can, and then you look around. You know, you you you've surveyed the scene. You see that there's other people around. You might want to 
and if you are that hero that we we don't deserve, you you might want to set a hundred fifty yard uh, a fifty yard hundred fifty feet perimeter around the animal and start talking to people who are walking around. Right, you like that's that's a huge way that you can help um, before the rescuers get there. Um, is is to you know just politely keep people away from that animal and just educate folks about it. If you if you know that this seal needs space, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I just figure I'd throw that comparison in there because uh, I, yeah. I, I like just starting that chain of events as quickly as you can to get the experts down there. I think that's I think, that's like one of the keys. I think it totally makes sense, and it's interesting too. Just thinking of audiences, like having that kind of information in your back pocket, like that would be very useful for a local to have. Um, yeah. it's something that would be really hard to try to convince a visitor to like be the hero, you know, but it is interesting when you're talking about educating kids and especially if they live on, on a coast saying, you know, this is something that happens. Like, what would you do in this situation? Having kids work through it. Yeah. I can even see like, you know, playing out the scene like you would in a CPR class that way when it actually yeah, happens, yeah. people aren't like, Whoa, Whoa, I don't know what to do. You're like, oh, okay. Like assign roles, like get people to help you know what number to call. Um, I think that's a, like an excellent way to think about it. And also for locals to feel empowered, they have this very special animal that lives in their backyard and they do play a role in protecting it. Um, so yeah, I think that is a good, I haven't heard that comparison before. I really like it. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and even just sticking on that for a second, like I've, I've personally noticed this summer, we, uh, we put up like 30 signs on all of the beach accesses in this one town, right? And through the summer, like after we put those signs up, I noticed that when we when we had responses in that town, the the beachgoers were like some of the most helpful and knowledgeable people uh, out of any other town that we we really work in because they seem to have they seem to have read that and seem to have um, you know taken up this responsibility for these animals. Like we we had whenever we would go to a response, we were able to get like one family to sit 150 feet away with all their kids and just, you know, shout, uh, you know, just give people a heads up who were walking by that there was a seal down there. And they put up, you know, they helped us out with the, uh, the fencing that we put around the animal and, and they were just super helpful. And I think it was because they saw that signage and that they, they felt ownership, right. And responsibility. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think it's just, just an example of, like I, I've seen it work in the field and, you know, people, people definitely can, can help make our jobs easier for sure. Yeah. I think using people as allies. And I think when you're probably, you know, having those communications with them, you're not saying, don't do this, don't do that. Don't touch this. Don't go there. Back it up. Like you're saying, Hey, can you do this? Can you help me with this? Yeah. Can you, you know, like you're, and it's again, looking at that language and looking at the way we're speaking to people and the way that they respond to it. Um, I think it's that backs up that case. Yeah, it's huge. Um, yeah, do you have any other? I mean, gosh, you've got to be on a hotline. Any other good stories of um, people rescuing or interacting with an animal? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a. I've heard a lot of stories, so I've only been doing this for about a year now. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, our marine mammal rescue manager Ashley, she has told me some wild stories from the past of people who have like seen a, a harbor seal pup because they, they're the very cute looking ones. Um, and I believe that they wrapped it up in a blanket and took it home with them. Um, and, you know, that's where she actually ended up responding to the animal was in this person's house. And the animal, I, I believe, according to her story, that the animal uh, passed away 
but you know, just yeah, people people taking it upon themselves to to be the hero, right? And mm-hmm. and it just and it they mean they mean well, and it just ends up so wrong for these animals. I think there was another story. Um, don't quote me on this one, but I I believe that someone in the past had found a uh, a juvenile harbor porpoise and. You know, it was it was beached, I believe, and it's probably separated from its mother. And they put it into a cooler where I believe it it passed. Um, yeah, just like some of these things. Like it, it, part of it is just common sense too. I think really. I mean, like mm-hmm. with a wild animal, you know, I, I guess people think of them like. Um, I know it's more common with birds, right? You see an injured bird on the side of the road or like in your backyard that you put them into, you know, a, a cardboard box or something and take care of them yourself. But like we, we run this hotline for a reason. And, you know, it, there's, uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to think it's common sense not to pick up a, a seal and bring it home, but you know, so it, happens. I, I, it does, it just happens. And yeah, yeah there's, And I think it's, and, you know, just for our listeners out there, we've been really lighthearted in this episode and that's how we wanted to be. But we acknowledge, like Brian just mentioned, that a lot of times when people make these giant errors, it is at the expense of the animal and a lot of times at the expense of its life. Um, So it is, this is really crucial work to be doing, you know, within your own organization or as a local or as a visitor. Like this is something that is really good for people to think about and talk about before they take vacations, before they, you know, before they do planning. Um, Yeah. I will. Oh, go ahead. I I was just going to say, and even with like these Harbor seal pups, if you, if you separate a perfectly healthy Harbor seal pup from its mother, right. You, that automatically that, that seal has no chance of survival unless it gets rehabilitated. Right. And, and is raised in a rehab facility and that takes away space from another animal that might be critically injured that now there's no, you know, there's limited, there really are limited resources in our field of work. And, you know, if, if we are forced to bring on uh, for, in this example, uh, a dependent Harbor seal pup that takes away a, a whole space in that rehab center for another animal that might have needed it more. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's all the result of just one action. Um, so yeah, yeah they, they definitely have consequences. I thought I would just swap my last story um, yeah. because this yeah, one is <laughs> this one is at the expense of the human, not the animal. Um, so this will sort of turn it around a little. But I was organizing a conference two years ago, and I was at the site where you know like the evening dinner was going to take place, and I was talking to the chef, kind of just getting to know him. And he mentioned that he was from Texas. I was like, "Wow, from Texas to the Oregon coast, so that's quite the change." And never lived next to an ocean before and on the Oregon coast we have like the ocean but every town has like a river running through it that connects like we're just surrounded by so much water and so much wildlife um so we started talking about it you know what what was it like moving from Texas to Oregon and he shared this story with me which I could not pull together um but he said when he first got here that he was sitting outside of this place where he worked um, it's right next to the river. It's dark. There's a big bridge that goes across it. So it kind of lights up the water a little bit. And he, he heard this kid, he heard this kid out in the water crying and, and kind of screaming. And he was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like a kid is out there in the river. He needs my help. This guy plunges in the water and the Oregon coast is not a warm place. Plunges in the water, starts swimming out in the river, which is super dangerous because it's going out to the ocean. 
only to find that it's not a child. Guess what it was? A seal. Ryan, any thoughts? <laughs> a seal. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my. Whoopsie. Um, so, again, I just think this, this story just shows that people are <laughs> – are, are trying to help somebody that's from a good place. Like they're getting out of their comfort zone. Like they're getting in cold water. They're, they're changing up their leisurely walk on the beach or their restful night experience. Like they're trying to do something good. And so, you know, he was okay. Luckily he didn't get harmed. He totally could yeah. have been in like a life and death situation himself by doing that. Um, Jeez, yeah, but again, crazy. <laughs> people out of their element for sure. <laughs> wow. I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess I would, if it came down to (laughs) responding to an animal, um, in need. Yeah. That he, he definitely gave it, gave it all for that thing. Didn't he? (laughs) He sure did. Um, I couldn't imagine how cold that would have been. Oh yeah. It it would have been, I mean, even during the summer here, it it never gets warm. So it would have been cold and at nighttime. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, something wow. I wanted to something I wanted to bring up to shift this a little bit is that <clears throat> we can we can com- there is one audience that we can't communicate with really they are not on social media they don't read signs um, and they are dogs. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> I thought you were gonna. I thought for a second you were gonna say fishermen. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa! Brian said it. I'm not going to dive down that that route. Um, (laughs) That's for for another episode. Yeah, Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, but let's stick with dogs. Um, So let's talk a little bit about um, dogs and sort of how they interact. Like, what are your experience with dogs um, and 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 seals on the beach or wildlife in general on the beach? Yeah. Well, I mean, first first off, don't get me wrong. I love dogs, right? Um, they're super cute, man's best friend, but they absolutely can have an impact on wildlife. And there's, there's definitely been videos on social media. I've, I've seen some of these go viral where dogs, you know, they have a direct impact on marine mammals. Like there's, I've seen videos of dogs, uh, attacking hauled out seals or sea lions. I forget. I think it was in California, this video surfaced, but, um, it, your your dogs, if they are unleashed and you don't have control over them, um, you know they can they can seriously harm uh, animals that are these these vulnerable animals, right? Like seals, when they come out to haul out on 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 shore, they do it for a reason. They're they're resting or they're breeding, um, and and by you allowing your your dog just because you're visiting the beach with your friends or family and and you bring your pup um, and you think it's plenty of open space for them to run around, you can, you can cause serious harm to the, the natural behavior of these animals, right? Like you're, you're hitting them when, for example, it's, it's like, you've just worked like a a 12 hour shift and all you want to do is come home in your bed and, and fall asleep. And then you have this like dog and people all around you just constantly harassing you, trying to take selfies with you. Um, you know, dog barking in your face, like that's, that's what it's probably like for these animals who use, use this time, use their time on land as a time to rest. So, I mean, that's, that's obviously one way. Uh, another thing that I just see generally, um, and this is like, this is just common outdoor ethic is to pick up after your animal, right? Um, obviously mm-hmm. dog, dog waste is, uh, you know, it, it can be a pollutant. It, it can, 
um, you know, alter the behavior of wild animals. Um, and obviously it's, no one wants to step on that on, you know, the beach or a hiking trail. That'd be like the worst. <laughs> it's I mean, I heard it, I heard it's good luck, but it, you know, it's not really pleasant. Um, and yeah, I'd say, I'd say that. And, 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 you know, it's a re- out of respect to other people too. Um, especially in the summertime when beaches are crowded, most beaches don't allow dogs to be on there, not only to protect wild animals, nesting birds, uh, you know, hauled out seals, but to just be respectful to other people too. I, I, so I really like to say it's a thing of respect. Um, if you are a dog owner, just to, to know before you go and like, make sure that you're visiting dog friendly beaches and beaches where, you know, you're not going to be breaking the law by letting your, you know, pup run loose. It's, it's worth doing the research. Yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of similar on the Oregon coast. Um, something that is unique here is that all, all of Oregon's beaches are free and open to the public. So nobody can own them or, um, you know, rope them off or anything. You can walk on any beach. And because of that, there's over 300 miles of places to take your dog. Um, And that all is managed by Oregon State Parks. And so the general rule is your dog can be off leash as long as it responds to voice commands. Um, And one of the things we see with impacts is, you know, we talked about baby seals, like dogs are curious naturally or maybe aggressive because they want to protect you. They can definitely cause confusion if they're like getting after a seal or something. But another species we have here is the Western snowy plover and it's um, a federally and state, you know, threatened shorebird. There's less than a hundred in Oregon. Um, So there actually are pieces of the beach and the, the beach actually right in front of my house from March to September. So kind of around that seal pupping time, Um, there's no dogs allowed at all. And it's really hard for people to understand um, why, why can't they have their dog there? But the thing is, is if your dog gets near their nest, like they're really nervous birds, they'll abandon their nests. Um, So yeah, it is, it is, it is a difficult one to talk because it's like, dogs are like people's children. And you're saying like, you can't have this beautiful experience with your dog running free on the beach with his hair in the wind. Um, (laughs) But it's like looking at some of those impacts, like we want you to have a good time. Your dog is welcome here, but like, let's take your dog to like this part of the beach and let wildlife still do its thing on this part of the beach. You know, it is, it is a unique study. No, exactly. We have, we have the same thing on the East coast with the piping plovers, same exact Mm. situation they're here. They, this is their their summer breeding territory, and the and the good and actually that's why they're endangered. I, I believe that they're still endangered. Um, is that they're losing their habitat, their breeding habitat to development. So the mm-hmm. amount of space that's available for them is is becoming so limited at, that it need you know and it needs to be protected. And dogs around here, we have foxes that are on these beaches. I've seen it. I used to actually. Uh, work with an environmental consulting company who was responsible for monitoring all the piping plover nests. And, you know, we, we would see that predations by foxes were, it, it was a huge, huge threat to uh, the shorebirds, right. Or, or feral, you know, um, introduced cats to certain islands, you know, people's cats mm-hmm. that were wandering around. Um, those types of animals are exactly the kind of predators that sh- endangered shorebirds avoid. And, so yeah, uh, your your dog harms the harms shorebirds. It harms you know these seals that are hauled out using this time to rest. They it's they can they can have serious 
um, implications on wildlife. And so, yeah, just just be a responsible dog owner. It's it's really and there's plenty of resources. Just do some do some online searching. Um, look in whatever I, I suggest looking at whatever whoever owns the beach that you are going to plan to visit. Check out their website. They usually have some kind of regulations posted online. Or when you get to the beach the, itself, you know there will be signage there that that tells you where you can and can't bring your your pup. So, yeah, and I think. Um... As we start kind of winding down here, it's worth us, and I think we've kind of peppered in the answers here, but really hitting on how do we change bad behavior, you know, through yeah. social media, through shaming, education, signage, laws. Um, so I'm curious, what what to you is like one of your top top ways to change bad behavior? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I think I think it's a mix of a lot of things, honestly. Um, the I think there's no silver bullet, but I truly think that educating people and sharing positive examples of, of good behavior um, really resonates with people the most. Like you said, you touched on this in the beginning, the, you know, the, the messaging, don't do this, don't do that. It's not successful with folks, right? Um, rather, I think, show, like really displaying people that are setting a positive example, you know, keeping your, showing people that have their dogs, you know, at the beach, but they're on leash, right? Or they're they're under control. Um, set, like just setting these these positive examples, uh, you know, showing people keeping 150 feet away from from seals. Um, I think that's a big thing. I I know that there's a tendency to to shame on social media, and it definitely it it has its its pluses and minuses. I think, but if, for example, you know, if someone does something really horrible, it usually goes viral. And you'll see it like it, I know there was there was a case in Hawaii. Someone, uh, I think two you know two college students like slapped the, the rear of a endangered uh, Hawaiian monk seal, and that went super viral. And they got in trouble for, for it because it went viral, and they were shamed on it. And it was you know they they issued a public apology. You know in in that case, yeah, it, it did send a message that like you really can't do this. It's you are going to get in trouble for it. But at the same time, I think that shaming, it, it can deter people from participating in better behaviors. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on, on shame? I'm, I'm very interested in that. Yeah. So shaming is something too, um, that I, it's, it's like evolving the way I feel about it. And I think you kind of hit on a, a major key component is who is doing the shaming. So I think the authority figure, whether that's, you know, state police respond to a lot of our stranded animal situations, um, an agency like, like state parks or U.S. Fish and Wildlife or, you know, like for us, like the Oregon Coast Visitors, when you're the official agency, I don't think it sits well when you are doing the shaming, right? And I think yeah. we're also just changing in general public and a little bit of our relationship with authority, you know, like we don't have a close relationship with authority figures like, you know, so I think when it comes to shaming, it shouldn't come officially from social media channels. Again, it's kind of going back to 
it's kind of just going back to what I was saying, like that language, like be warm, be interesting, provide information that people can chew on and think about and make the decision on their own. But if you're going to do a lot of no, 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 like it's not going to sit well on your channels. People aren't going to listen to you. It doesn't sound authentic. But I think that shaming can play a role with peer pressure and with audience, just like what you were saying. So if a million people around the world are like, you're a horrible person, how dare you do that? You're going to be like, wow, like, fellow people who don't have any kind of like role in this are hate me and they're shaming me and I'm embarrassed. My friends are embarrassed. I'm becoming a meme. People are sharing it and like remixing it. Like this is horrifying. And I think, I think that could be the key. Um, that is difficult to engineer. If you're like, I want people to be shamed for this. It's very difficult for as an agency for me to be like, how can I convince people to shame other people? Um, Another example of where I think shaming has kind of worked, this is the same thing, is there's this Haystack Rock Awareness Program up on the North Oregon coast in Cannon Beach. They have this giant Haystack Rock there. And so they have an organization called Haystack Rock Awareness Program. And so they have volunteers that are out there during low tide and they educate about tide pools. When those volunteers shame people, like, don't stand on those rocks, don't pull up that sea anemone, don't do this, people start fighting with them, like start arguing, you you know, you can't tell me what to do, you're not the police, you know, whatever. But they made this sign and it said, it just said, don't be that guy. And then I had a picture of somebody doing all the wrong things. And what they noticed was that instead of them calling out people, fellow visitors were like, don't be that guy. And like calling each other out. And I was like, and that again, I think points to my, my case (laughs) that shaming has to come from your peer group and from other people. And it can't, it doesn't, not that it can't, but it will not be super productive for you as the authority figure to be the shamer. Does that make sense? Yeah. Just you speaking of this, do you, I came up with the best type of person to effectively shame, right? You ready for the, are, are you ready for this one? I can't wait people's kids you know educating educating young people right and i see this all the time when a student learns something and i teach a marine mammal rescue class right or a program you know they they come out there like oh my god we have to stay 150 feet away from these animals and you you hear them talking about it after i can promise you that they're going home the next time that they're at the beach if they see a seal they will tell their parents that they need to be 150 feet away from that animal and give it its space and call our hotline you know, like those, I think people's kids are the most effective at influencing a family's behavior, honestly. Like yeah. they, if, they, if they're passionate about something, they just learned about this in school or in one of our outreach programs, like they are, they are going to be the enforcement in, in that family when they go to the beach. And I've, I've actually seen, you know, I've seen it happen with our students out here that, you know, they'll, they'll take one of our programs and they'll see they'll come up to me, you know, the next week when I'm working at the center and they'll say, Hey, Hey Brian, you know, I, I saw me and my family saw a seal at the beach and we stayed back and we, you know, we called and you're like, wow, you know, that, that's me really seeing change happen, you know, in person. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's good. That, that's yeah. something I've, I've found success with at least. Yeah, you're inspiring people, you're educating people, inspiring them, and then they become the stewards, um, and then they become the shamers, which it seems really weird to encourage people like, shame your parents. But, um, you know, we're looking at effective change. And so I think that it's worth thinking about, like, how can you be creative and 
for our listeners out there, um, if this is something that really interests you, like you're trying to change a certain kind of behavior, whether that's in your own organization or like the behavior of visitors around different impacts in your community, like this is your opportunity to choose your own adventure. Are you going to choose option Option one, continue doing what you've been doing for years and not seeing results. Option two, looking at different ways to inspire and create stewards of your area. Option three, are looking at creative messaging that will engage people at every every stage of the visitor lifecycle. Option four, <laughs> up to you. Choose your own. Create your own adventure. Yeah. Um so yeah, I say that's my that's my key takeaway is that this should be always evolving. We should always be analyzing like our audiences and our consumers, what they're looking for in channels, what kind of information is really engaging to them, what kind of pictures they respond to, and, and tone of voice they respond to. Like, this is something that will never um, will never be solved. Like the yeah. impacts change, people change, people's vi- behaviors change. We're starting to see the impacts of drones on baby seals, which is a whole other um, episode as well. Um, But that is my key takeaway. So if you want to share your key takeaways, Brian, we'll uh, we'll wrap her up. Yeah, no, I I agree with everything that you've just said. Um, You know, for me, it's education, educating people, turning, turning those, you know, folks who are on the beach causing harm to these animals who mean well into your biggest ocean heroes, like, and allies. That is, that is, I, what I think is going to really change um, the, the conversation around uh, wild, uh, you know, the impact that folks have on wildlife and, and these wildlife distancing guidelines. Um, I think edu- education is really key. Um, empower- it is it is power, right? By edu- by educating these folks, you give them the, the power to help you and and aid conservation efforts. Um, and like you said, this is this is a constantly changing field. I would love, uh, you know, I'm I'm always open. If you work in this realm or you want to, you know, uh, help your community uh, better understand wildlife viewing guidelines, feel free to read. I, I definitely say feel free to reach out to me. Um, my contact information will be in the description of the show. Um, Erica, I'm sure you know you, you'd love to hear from people as well. But def, definitely yes. reach out. Yes. Reach out. I would love to have the conversation with you and you know and, and honestly learn a little bit more myself um right and stay tuned um everybody stay tuned for our upcoming book choose your own adventure brian's edition <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and a store near you soon <laughs> <laughs> choose your own path I, I i think yeah i think people are gonna like that one <laughs> nice cool okay so um let me stop recording